everyone. Welcome to another classic edition of ARG Presents. I'm your good pal, your good buddy, Amigo Aaron, joined by the man that puts the word Astro into Bally Astrocade. I give you the Brent. Hi, everybody. You're full of pep today, my friend. <laughs> you need to fire up, dude, because man, last week, last the week, only thing Brent, firing up in my house is my stove. Oh, my God. What's, listen, get that replaced, my friend. Last week, we spun the wheel. We made the exciting deal. This is an exciting deal, Brent. This is. Because, it really is. Because this week, we are going to be playing Selections, bam, on the Bally Astrocade. The Bally Astrocade, Brent. Uh, we've heard about this machine for years. How we never covered it, I will never know after yeah. 160-some episodes. But finally, it has popped. And we're going to cover this bad boy, uh, Brent. Have, what's your experience in the past with the Bally Astrocade? Well, I think we need to go way back, way, way back to where this was the mail order system known as the Bally Professional Arcade. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Its original name was the Bally Home Library Computer. And Horrible. It, you know what this system reminds me of? No. Firefly. Remember Firefly? The great, great show that we all love. Yes. Yeah. This this little this little console slash computer because they wanted it to be everything. Uh, was had incredible hardware, right? Had incredible potential, and then was marketed in the most ridiculously stupid way you can ever imagine. <laughs> it is just full of of potential and and mismanagement. And it starts all the way back from its very first beginnings. So they start putting this thing for mail order in 1977. Way uh, back. October. Yeah. Right? And you, you couldn't go to a store and buy it. You had to order it through a catalog. And they were like, yep, all deliveries, December, ready for Christmas. We're good to go. It's going to be awesome. And then what did they do? They didn't ship until January. So instantly, time to miss Christmas. <laughs> instantly, they 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 screwed all the people that had ordered this thing and uh, uh, wanted it for Christmas. So it only gets better from there, right? Because behind the scenes, they have this console, and they're they're getting it approved. And, and the FCC's like, uh, "Where's your RF shielding? Like, you don't have any RF shielding." And they're like, "Oh." Uh, here it is, and they literally just take a slab of, of bent metal and shove it in the case. <laughs> and, and what does that do? That sent, that makes all the components overheat. Yes. So, <clears throat> so immediately you've got this overheating late console, but it even gets better than that. There are reports, uh, both back in the day and, and people who own these in modern times, if you had this thing right and you put it on carpet like you sat it on carpet it would yeah. fry the machine like you would turn it on it would just fry the components from this from the uh static the esd uh, yeah so <laughs> these things got returned in just mass the the return rate when these things first came out were just off the charts like nothing you've ever seen before so right out of the gate they've got they're late. They've got hardware that is prone to failure. And then the marketing on this, they're not marketing this as a console. It, it, just for a reference, this came out, uh, well, it was supposed to come out the same year as the Atari 2600. 
So you're going up against some hard, incredibly hard uh, uh, competition right out of the bait, right out of the gate. So they <clears throat> say, you know what? We we've got to get the edge. We want to do something a little crazy. Let's not market this as a console. We're going to market this as a computer slash console, but a computer without a keyboard. <laughs> the the yeah. only way to input into this thing is it has like a, a 16 button, uh, almost looks like a telephone keypad on like on the console, physically on the console. And uh, they were like, yeah, that that's how you, when you want to program something, there you go. That's that's how you get the stuff in there. Basic for this console, which was what they uh, said was the the programming language. It was going to be something else, but I'll get into that. <clears throat> the the uh, individual who programmed it didn't even want to do it, like put it on the system. She was trying to avoid doing a demo reel. So she's like, oh, I'll put basic on the system instead. And she did it so quickly. And the basic on this is, is pretty good. Uh, but she did it so quickly that she had to end up doing her other work too. So that's kind of funny. But it <laughs> comes with a, it comes with an overlay. And you, you put it on your little keypad area. And let's say you want to make like, I don't know, the letter E. You would have to hold down a button and then press another button. That's how you make your E. And you would do that for all the letters. Plus, there was a fourth shift. They were all kind of like shift. They were color-coded, uh, red, green, blue. And to put, like, basic words in, like print or go to or stuff like that, you could hold down a fourth shift button and, and do that. So the whole programming on this thing back in the day had to have been a, just a complete nightmare, right? But the plan was always to release a, it's not really a, a, an add-on, it's sort of a separate console slash computer that had a full keyboard and had, you know, could play the games and do all this stuff, but it never came out. And that was the other thing that, that Bally continuously dropped the ball on is they would make these promises uh, this is coming. This is coming. All oh, this, you know. Here's the here's the picture. Here's the prototype. Here's all this good stuff. And then it just never comes out. And they would do this again and again and again, and, and to the point where uh, individuals started doing their own thing. Uh, an individual took the uh, this thing shipped with 4K RAM. Real quick, we'll go over the stats. Uh, this was a Z80 uh, clocking at 1.789. And it came with 4K RAM, which is huge. Back in the day, 4K RAM is pretty good. But people wanted more. So you would have these expansions that weren't officially licensed. They were licensed by other people, just individuals, who would plug it into the expansion port. But then they couldn't access it because they didn't have you know the programming rights. Bally saw what people were doing and then told people how to get make it so they could access that memory. <laughs> and that really blew open the indie scene for these things. So you've got a console that has amazing graphics. It does uh, an amazing resolution. You can get uh, 680, I'm sorry, 160. 
How about uh, that? One two with eight colors, <laughs> or three twenty by two hundred four with four colors. At this time, mind blowing. Yeah, pretty good. That kind of stuff is off the charts. Yeah, and if you could do it, if you had the you know the for the the uh, uh, insight to be able to program this stuff, you could do a lot of stuff. Now the problem was with basic, you didn't have access to all that good stuff, right? Because the basic cart was it wasn't an afterthought, but it was. It was just something they quickly programmed out to say this was a computer, and then people did what they could with it. Uh, the basic games for this, for people who have programmed stuff in, a lot of them look like an Atari twenty six hundred game. That kind of blocky feel. Uh, but then people started writing an assembly, you know, tapping straight into the chip, and that had some amazing results. So the Bally Astrocade, which it later was known, and then it actually got sold to a third party who uh, uh, changed the name again. It just was such powerful hardware that was wrongly pushed and had a lot of quirks. Aaron, what do you think this sold for when it released? Well, I know but what it sold for. I've got I've got the stat sheet, but I will say I was surprised at the amount. According to what I read, uh, when this went on sale in the USA in 77, uh, they were asking the Kingly sum of two ninety nine. Is that Does that mesh with your numbers? Yes, and that is the equivalent of $1,277 today. Yeah. It, that's that's big money, you know. <laughs> that's insane. The the base, uh, the fact that this had basic, I believe this is the first ever way you could program on basic at home. I believe this is this is, if 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 it's got to be right up there. And I will say this: you're talking about programming in the, with that keypad. When I was in, the, believe it or not, programming like that, as horrible as it was, it was not totally un, unusual. I remember doing like these. This, I had this ladder logic gimmick that we did at le- electronic school, uh, and it was it was very similar. You had to program everything with the keypad like that. It was ludicrous, yeah, ludicrous. And the fact that anyone could sit down and program with this, it shows you that you've got to have a dedication to programming that few have. <laughs> but yeah. it, it, you know, it's unbelievable. I wanted to ask you since you looked into this real tough. I, I, I've I've got written down here that this thing you could uh, and I think these were official, but maybe you could clarify it. I read that you could get a RAM expansion, a a, a cassette interface, and even a light pin. Did you find anything else about that? Yes, uh, most of the hardware things, especially when it came to the RAM, uh, were unofficial, and then Bally kind of made them official or said they were going to. Some of them materialized, some of them <laughs> didn't. Uh, did you look at the basic cart, Aaron, how it worked? I, I saw that it had basic, but I didn't actually try to fool with basic. Okay, I, I didn't actually go in and program with it, but the cart itself, all of the belly carts are the size of cassettes. Uh, they aren't cassettes. They've, they're have they they're just a ROM cart like a Nintendo or anything else. But when you plug it into the system... The cart itself has a hole on it for a uh, three and a half inch headphone jack, mono jack. And that is actually how you would save your basic programs is you would take a, a, a line in 
and or a line out, plug it into that cart and save it to a tape that way. No kid, right on the cart, eh? Yeah. I yeah, don't think crazy. I've ever seen that before. That's how bizarre, you know, but it makes sense. That's the only time you would need that. So why not put it on the card? I guess no reason to add that to the system. It would just add more money to the system. That's and actually not a bad, that's not a bad angle. Uh, the bread. Hey, another thing we have to talk about. Yeah. Uh, as we're just going through this, just lightning speed, we're missing so many details, but the Astrocade has just an, an incredible background to it. Uh, we can't get into all of it now. Uh, are the joysticks for this yes, thing? Yes, I was waiting for this. <laughs> they are. If you picture like a uh, a Tron arcade stick, and you're holding that in your hand, and you've got that trigger, so you, it's a trigger stick, and then on top of it is an analog nub that can also rotate. Yeah. So it. <laughs> When you play it, you've got the 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 pistol grip in one hand with a trigger, and then your other hand is on top of the, your hand, controlling the the uh, joystick nub that can also rotate and you know has a potentiometer doing that. It's not entirely unlike the uh, Channel F, and it was a, sort of a similar concept. It's very similar. Yeah, you know, it's funny if you look at. Uh, I think it's Ralph Bear's the the original Odyssey, where he actually, you know, the father of video game, all that shtick. I believe his the sticks he were using. This was sort of like what they defaulted to. Uh, yes. They were literal joysticks. You just held them. They didn't have a base. I will say this shows you uh, how in innovative Atari was uh, with their controller, which would probably blow away most of these early controllers in terms of the cap capabilities, but certainly in terms of the durability. Because yes. I've read that these things have a rep of going down pretty easy, these sticks. And you can see why. I mean, analog control, thats all that stuff in the tilting. And so it's, I like the idea. It's amazing that those early machines had that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the Atari joystick's more functional and certainly more durable than these er these early attempts. Well, I think what they were going for is we have to remember where Bally came from, right? They they were uh, making arcade stuff, and they wanted to get in on this on this console boom uh, uh, before it really became a boom. And they were like, you know, we're gonna take the knowledge that we have, and we're gonna push everything a little bit farther. So when you've got these joysticks, that's probably what they saw. That's probably what they thought people wanted because they wanted an arcade-feeling stick. So you've got, uh, you know, your trigger button and that top nub. The worst thing I heard from people who use these is the fatigue. You will absolutely fatigue yourself out uh, because of the, the trigger on the joystick. Uh, it was just hard on your hands. It was not ergonomically sound. What well, I guess that's kind of a good thing because if you played your console for too long, it caught on fire. Well, it didn't catch on fire, but it burned up all the chips. So <clears throat> it's one of those things. It's just I, like your oven. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't prefer this over a. I don't think I would prefer this over just a normal Atari stick. I think the Atari stick made a lot more sense. But you know, this was before there was a common. This was before. Uh, uh, there was a let's do it this way type of affair. I do like the look of this thing. I think it's a sharp looking console. I like the boxes. The box art's good. 
Uh, and I also, I, the keypad on the machine, Alex, it's an unusual console, but I like it. It's it's very 70s looking. And the back, the back part of the console opens up, and that's where you store your games. Yeah. Someone so that's, mentioned that's that pretty it, keen, too. Yeah, someone mentioned it looks like a, a desk, uh, uh, like a, uh, uh, you know, a thing that you announce, get your secretary to come in the office type yeah. of thing. <laughs> Little speaker it does, box. An inter, yeah. intercom. It does look sort of like that. Um, I will say, just in the interest of, if this sounds appealing to anyone, uh, this it does only have RF out, which is, yeah, that's a duh. And it's no hardwired duh. in. Yeah. Uh, and you, I was looking on eBay for these, and they're available, man. Uh, and they, by the way, there's a multi-card that plays a universe of games. Uh, I read, and you can confirm or deny this, I read that they were officially about 40 titles released for this. <clears throat> and And... Uh, the multi-card had probably three times that many games. So I'm assuming there's a lot of homebrew yes. out for the Astrocade. Yeah. And uh, the th- a lot of homebrew uh, made its way onto carts. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, I think officially there's only about 28 games. <coughs> but there are... Uh, when you first turn on the console, if you don't have anything in, you still have a game to play. Yeah, you have several. Yeah, well, you have several programs, just a yeah. couple games. This included a calculator uh, into the base system, which in 77 might have actually meant something to someone. Uh, there was a drawing program built in. Uh, Gunfight, which is a game, was built in. And what was the other one, Aaron? I'm drawing a blank here. Um, Let me see here. You... Uh... You you, uh, you helped me out to dry on this. I, I didn't have the information right in front of me. But there are I know there were four uh, that are, that came with it. Did you try the one? I didn't try any of the built-in stuff. I just because I was afraid we'd come back to this at some point. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Oh, gunfight, checkmate, scribbler, checkmate. yeah, scribbler, a cal- and a, a calculator uh, was also available. So that's not too bad out of the gate. Uh, and but I, something to remember with this is even if you have a cart in. Uh, those four programs are still available. That that was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it I seems like almost that. it's kind of advanced feeling to have a selection like that. You know, I kind of dug that too. I, I kind of thought that was fun. Um, and the way know, it works is you put in your game, and when you turn the system on, it has a check a, a numbered list one, two, three, four, five of what you can play, and then you just hit the number of what you want to load up. It loads it up. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, good stuff, the Brent. Uh, well done. An excellent look. Uh, this is an interesting little... Oh, and I also want to ch- uh, thank our buddy over at Bally Alley, uh, where I got the video if you're watching this. And he's also our uh, uh, our Ipso Faxo number one expert on the Bally Astro K. Check out his channel over there. He also happened to win the Dragon's Lair Mini. Yeah. So, <laughs> serendipity, my friend. Um, with all that said, the Brent, uh, we were tasked... Uh, with picking a couple games from the Bally Ashcade. And I tell you this, we had no idea what we were doing, did we? I mean, I I went into this completely blind. I don't think I'd ever played more than a couple things on this. And I certainly hadn't played the game I picked. Uh, and I'll go ahead and lead the dance this week, if I may, give you a chance to, to recuperate. And I will go, and listen, this was a no-brainer for your boy uh, yeah. when I saw this one. Uh, I went with a game that is peculiarly titled The Incredible Wizard, which is also <laughs> what I am, I might add. 
the Incredible Wizard uh, released January 1st, 1982, re late release, Brent. Um, this was developed by uh, the Dave Nutting Associates and, uh, of course, published by Astro Arcade. Uh, Two-player cooperative or solo single player. Uh, and so I want to... I'm going to jump ahead here before I talk about the Incredible Wizard and talk about the game that this is based on. Uh, you know, and I, I'm going to draw upon you, Brent, before I even get too deep in this. Uh, the Incredible Wizard is Wizard of War, the arcade game. Yes. If, if you've ever played Wizard of War, uh, this is the same game developed by the same people, the Nutting Associates. Okay. Yeah. So this was designed by the same people that did the arcade game, okay? This was released on multiple platforms, Brent, including the Atari computers, the 5200, uh, the 2600, and the C64. But we've had two different releases of it. Uh, and I was unable to find out why they changed the name. Do you have any idea why they changed the name of this? They, the, the Belly Astrocade had a lot of ripoff games. But they um, developed this game. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. In fact, I they, believe Bally owned the rights to this game. <laughs> they they made a lot of ripoff games, and they always, of course, for legal reasons, tweaked the title of these games. Well, uh, like you, uh, the Pac-Man clone was like Munchman. Uh, you know, it, it, the tried and true seventies, uh, early eighties era. I guess that they just said, you know what, we've done this with all of the other games, let's just keep doing it. It's the well, only thing I can think of. Well, I, I looked, I, and I saw other people asking, and no one had a good answer. So your answer is as good as anyone else I've heard. For those that aren't familiar with the brilliant arcade game, Wizard of War, that's spelled W-O-R, by the way, um, this was a game that uh, debuted in the arcades in 1980. So this, th this game debuted well after the Bally had been out for a while. And uh, pitted you in a maze game uh, where you can play one player or two players simultaneous, and as you and you go through this maze and fight creatures, uh, various creatures, uh, and after you clear a board, more creatures will come up, and then eventually uh, one or two other creatures come up at the end. And I'll get more into the details as we get into the uh, Astrocade version. Uh, this game was unique for a bunch of reasons. It had it ran at a real strange resolution. Uh, that you don't see very often. It's a very unusual-looking title. I mean, really, the graphics are simplistic, but it's very odd. Yeah, it also... The, really, for the time, the graphics were freaking amazing. Yeah. It also ran uh, at a... Uh, it had a it had a built-in speech, a lot of it. Sort of like a Berserk-type uh, thing, where the, a lot of it was just making fun of you, taunting you. <laughs> the, the speech was a jerk. It was awesome, though. It was that classic, uh, like, early 80s computer talk, you know, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, wizard, ah, uh, war. That now, this is the arcade version, of course. Yeah. This is all in the arcade. The fact that you could play one player or two players simultaneous was fairly unique. And what made this even more unique is when you played by yourself, you still got another player uh, that, could, that would come out. And much like, say, a gauntlet, if you took the notion, you could just go over and, and kill your opponent, uh, your partner, or you could have him help you. Uh, you had the choice. And even when you're playing by yourself and the computer controls the opponent, uh, it uh, in the arcade, uh, you could go over and slaughter him if you wanted. Or you could just let him help you. And he would shoot you too, by the way. Um, this game also had some real unique 
audio aside from the speech. I was like, it was almost like an organ type tune that would come out of it. It for a maze game th- that was almost like sort of like if you took Venture and Berserk and they had a kid in terms of the concept behind it. This game was creepy. And it was also cool. This was a cool guy game. It had war in the title. There were wizards. There were monsters. It was awesome, you know. And so uh, this was a popular game in the arcade. I was always a big fan of this. Brent, I think you liked this one too, didn't you? Well, yeah, and we owned one of these. We briefly owned one of these. And then we, we, by the way, I regret that. Uh, I regret selling that. Uh, But it it was one of those things. I believe we bought it for 75 bucks uh, back in the day. Um, so this game, the reception, uh, according to Wikipedia in the arcade was moderately successful. I'd say that's probably about right. You would see, you would see these occasionally, uh, in the arcade. So with all that said, uh, this was ported to the Bally Astrocade again in, uh, 1982. So here it comes, uh, Wizard of War pops out and I'm going to say, I knew the Astro K was a fairly old machine. And so when I loaded this up, I was really surprised. Uh, I shouldn't have been because of pe- the people that made it. But uh, clearly, they knew what they were doing when they put this on the Astro K. Because this, I played a bunch of the ports of this. And even some that look a little better and even maybe sound a little... Well, there were none that sounded better in, ter- in terms of more authentic. Uh, but this is a top-shelf Wizard of War. I mean, yeah, I don't is, think any look better either. I think this is it's, the well, closest I mean, you could get on a looked, console. Some looked better, but not more arcade perfect. How about that? There you go. So this game, uh, one of the things that make Wizard of War interesting, aside from the fact that it's got the two-player simultaneous play, is the fact that it's got a radar at the bottom. Now, you'd probably ask yourself, why would a game like Wizard of War need a radar. Well, the reason you need that is because the, some of the creatures will turn invisible <clears throat> and they will show up on that radar and you can use that to avoid them. And this game includes the radar, but more importantly, this game captures the spirit of the arcade game perfectly. Yeah, uh, they've got It's got the cool sound. It does not have the speech, but the no. sound effects are, I mean, pretty much arcade perfect, I would say, Brent. I mean, and there's a reason for that. Uh, the Bally Astrocade had a three-voice system yeah. and a dedicated sound chip. So uh, it was it really focused heavily on sound. Yeah. And they made when people made good use of it, it was great. Yeah, it's amazing because I, I only played a few games on this. So I, like I said, I thought we might come back to it at some point. But um, the other games I played did not have the sound that this did. So I would assume it's one of those things where a lot of people just didn't use the sound properly. And a lot of people didn't use this yeah. hard, didn't use the hardware to its potential. This, if you look at this, and I, and I they made a version of this for twenty six hundred, uh, and and uh, they made a lot of versions, but this is a uh, clearly it crushes the the twenty six hundred version yeah. in terms of playability. This plays almost identically to the arcade. The mazes are the same. Uh, in fact, they almost everything's the same. The, there's a little point differences. Uh, when you kill the wizard. So here's how this game goes. You start off in the maze, one or two player, and there's a set there's a set number of monsters that come out. And they are the lowest level monsters. They're usually these blue guys. And then after you kill all those, well, unless you take too long, then a set of like yellow monsters will come out and then red. And these monsters can blink on and off with their invisibility. That's when the radar c- kicks in. 
uh, and you're armed with just like a laser gun uh, when you kill these things. So once you kill the uh, the two sets of mo- other monsters, then uh, uh, basically this thing called a warlock comes out. It's a kind of a it almost moth. looks like a it looks like a moth or a Mothman. Yeah. And then if you on some levels on every other level, if you kill him, then the Wizard of War actually shows up. He's sort of a cloaked figure. That, and they, they move real fast. Now, the warlock and the wizard will try to leave the maze. If they leave the maze, they escape. Or they'll kill you, or you kill them. If you kill the uh, warlock, you get double you get double points. And if you kill the wizard of war, you get quadruple points. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things I like about this uh, version that's unique to this version in a lot of ways is that it has the text screens. Get ready. Quadruple points. It spells them out in big, beautiful letters, just like the arcade does, Brent. Yeah. Which is awesome. Now, the game is close, but it's not perfect. And this is one of the places where other versions have done it a little bit better. Uh, in the one-player version of this, you, the other character just doesn't run around the, the maze it, it, uh, like you, what does in the arcade. Something else I noticed is that the monsters in the arcade, even the lowest-level monsters, occasionally will shoot. And I didn't see that ever in this. I, saw, I, I never saw that lower level monster shoot. Uh, the arcade version of this has a star field that uh, the whole thing is kind of over top of. So just picture the maze and a, just a star field behind it. I don't know why. It, it looks never made cool. sense, yeah. It looks cool, but they didn't, they didn't implement that in this. And those are really about the only differences uh, that I saw. I mean, I played this game. I ended up getting a, a pretty good score. In fact, I was so proud of it. I took a picture of it, Brent, so I could talk about it on the show because I want to talk about how awesome I am at this game. I uh, on on the easy level, I got ninety five fifty, not too bad, uh, man. And I will say this also has three different skill levels, not too bad there either. Uh, so you've got a lot of choices in your play. I will tell you that uh, something I didn't even notice in the arcade. In this version, if you start off on any level. And you at the very first level, and you walk up to a creature and ram right into it. You will not die. It gives you a few seconds of sucker time at the beginning of the very first level, which is also good. Which I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I think that's a good feature. The game doesn't do anything weird. It does like in the arcade. You're actually sort of jettisoned from a block at the bottom of the screen. That's exactly the way it works here. I did fire this up two player and sort of played myself basically. It works. All the stuff that you would expect to happen worked. Uh, the extra men worked. You can build up a good supply of men in this. Uh, it's you start off with more than three men uh, because that's in the arcade, sort of the same way. Uh, and because you'll go through them quick, it's a fun, challenging game. This is one of those games, but that when you explain it to somebody, they 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 look at it and they're like, eh, you know. It does, I mean, if you look at it, it's it's sort of unremarkable or not. It's not. It's such a goofy concept. But when you play it, you just sort of get it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. No, this is a, this is a great game uh, yeah. in general, <clears throat> and it's it's a spectacular game uh, for the Astrocade. Yeah, I would say people refer to this as one of the best pieces of software on the system. Oh yes, um, and it shows the graphics. You have to remember this is you know, I think this came out in what eighty two. Yeah, that correct, Aaron. On the on here, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> when you think of that, what they're putting on console that was released in in seventy eight, uh, it's incredible the graphic detail that they were able to produce. The resolution of this game is 
just mind blowing yeah. for the time. For a Big time maze. when most things are just blocky things, and, and this really goes a step beyond this. The sound in this is incredible. Uh, it doesn't have the voice, but come on, you're working yeah. with 4K. Yeah. So yeah. what do you expect? Yeah, the, I agree. The, also, the fact that they can just shove all this into 4K of space <laughs> is remarkable. Uh, this is if you're going to to fiddle with the system. This game is an absolute must play. I'm I'm going to go on a limb. Okay, I think given this system, the limitations, the time this was released, this has got to go down as one of the all time great arcade conversions to a home system. I mean, especially for the era, it is remarkable how and it. Listen, I've played a crapload of Wizard of War, and this plays. I played this and the arcade and kind of went back and forth to see what the differences were. They got the mazes down. They got the radar down. They got the sound effects down. It pl- and, and the fact that this thing has two-player simultaneous play, you know, it also has the yeah. exits out the side, you know, like sort of like Pac-Man. Uh, it's got that. And the sound. This game, part of the, a big grip, a grip of what makes this game fun is the unique sound effects, and this has got them. No other home system had sound effects like this that can. And I looked. I played the 5200 version. I played the C64 version. I played the 2600 version. They all had their, their. None of them were bad. All right. This is a not the hardest game to port. No, it's a very portable them, game. None of them had the sound that this one did, and that even the C64 version didn't. This takes it to the house. Uh, a great, a great conversion of this game, and. Uh, we weren't the only ones that thought so. <laughs> uh, I looked up some critical reviews on this. Uh, Bally Alley in uh, Digital Press uh, gave this a 10 out of 10. Video Game Critic, A+. Uh, 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 the Electronic Fun with Computers and Games, 4 out of 4. And uh, the All-Star uh, Guide gives this 4 stars. Uh, this also one, uh, was like awarded. Like People were very impressed with this when it came out. For the Bally Astor Arcade, uh, it won it won an award the year it came out as being the best home conversion. Which duh, what else are they going to compete against? And they're, they're, they're <laughs> um, the uh, uh, it, it was just an all around well received game, and it's definitely a must for the system. I did look this up. It's funny. I found I found some notes that a warehouse full of Bally Astor Arcade stuff was discovered in like 2017. Okay. And you can get a sealed box copy of this right now if you wanted to. And the box is pretty good, uh, by the way, on this thing, uh, in my opinion. It looks pretty nice. And I believe the price I saw, it was under it was under 30 bucks. Wow. For a, for a sealed copy uh, of this. Not a bad deal. And there's plenty of... There's actually the, the uh, Bally Astrocade boxed uh, games. There's a ton of them. And they're yeah. inexpensive. In fact, I didn't see any real expensive. One. I'm sure there's some out there, but I didn't see any. Uh, these are going pretty cheap. So if you wanted to own this, it's an easy one to take home, uh, the Brent. Uh, I was really fond of this one. We didn't get any formal reviews on this, but I did notice that uh, our good buddy L. Curtis Boyle said he had played on this this on the Astro uh, Cade, and he thought it was awesome. So he's also a big fan of the arcade. So there you go. Any final thoughts on the uh, Wizard of War clone here? Uh, it just, you know, this shows off the potential of the system and, uh, and what a wasted potential it was. Cause this is just incredible. Yeah. It's an incredible port. If it can do this, it, they could have done more. I think, I think we could both agree with that. So that was the incredible wizard 
for the Bally Escape. Now, uh, the Brant, you went in a completely different direction here, and I got to say, I, I had not ever heard of this one. What did you come up with? I decided to review a little game called Artillery Duel. Artillery Duel. And there was a very important reason why I picked this game. All right. And it's, an to angle. Kind, it's kind of to highlight the community and what was going on at the time. This game was not developed by, you know, formal programmers that were doing games for the system. This was actually released in basic form. <clears throat> and a guy made the game and wrote it in basic and submitted it to a magazine. And the magazine actually printed so you could type it in yourself. Oh, so and they had they, magazines. There were magazines that supported the basic cartridge on this. Yeah. That is stunning. Yeah, and there's actually, there are uh, whole communities uh, that would run meet meetups for this. They would run get-togethers. Even as early as uh, last year at MAGFest, uh, they had a whole panel on the Bally Astrocade that was well attended. Mm. Uh, they have, the community is very small. I'm not, you know, this isn't the 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 Atari community or the Amiga community, anything like that. They're very small, uh, but they're very committed to the system. And it's it's nice to see. It, people are still writing games for BASIC. <clears throat> Most of them are using the extended uh, uh, memory cart and that kind of thing. Uh, so the community out there, while small, is very dedicated, and they do some amazing things. And And that's today. And back then, the scene was even larger. It was it was never a huge scene. Although there aren't sale numbers that I could find for the Belly Astrocade or any of its variants, it only got released in stores in Montgomery Awards. Uh, Montgomery Wards. And it wasn't with the consoles. It was with the computers. Which, that's the kiss of death. You can't do that because this doesn't look like a computer. It doesn't feel like a computer. It doesn't run like a computer. And when you put it with all these other computers where people can say, why would I buy this? If they would have put it with the consoles, that it might have had a chance, even though it was high, much higher priced than anything else out at the time. But when you put it, you grouped it in with the computers, that was it, kiss of death. There was no way it was going to succeed like that. However, because it did have programming capabilities, some people really took that and grabbed a hold of it. And uh, they made Artillery Duel. And like I said, they sent it in. Uh, you could program this in on yourself. Not this version, not the color version that you're seeing now. This, uh, his was a black and white version that could do all the same things, but didn't look as good. <clears throat> so that kind of got the attention of the folks over at Bally, and they were like, you know, this is pretty good. So they took it, and, and, and they brought it in-house, and they made a version of it to release on an actual cartridge. So you could get this game in a magazine, right, and program it in and play it. Or you could go and buy the, the souped-up graphics, souped-up sound, uh, graphical version of it. From a shelf, you know, just like you'd buy any other game. It goes to show that, you know, people were using the tools they were given to make some really nice games. So what is Artillery Duel? 
<clears throat> artillery duel is for one to four play, or actually two to four players. And something we didn't mention, the uh, Bally Astrocade had four controller ports. You know, this is way back, 1978, four controller ports. And this is a game that would support it. You could have four players playing at the same time. And everyone controls a turret, and you adjust the pitch, and you adjust the power, and you have to take into account the wind, and you fire, and it shoots off. And if you direct hit, you might kill your opponent in one shot. If you just kind of, you know, graze them or hit the ground, the explosion hits them a little bit, it might make take more than one shot. But you can't just keep shooting the same place over and over because the wind adjusts after every round. And after you, uh, you know, win or lose, it goes to the next scene. And all the terrain is uh, randomly generated, which that's pretty incredible. Uh, and the scene is mountain sides that are, uh, you know, tree covered. And sometimes your bullets can get through the trees and sometimes they can't. Uh, but usually you're trying to avoid all that stuff anyway. And then it has little cut scenes after each stage of, you know, you're walking to your, your turret and you get into it. And then your opponent walks in and gets into theirs. The biggest downfall of this game because the graphics are, are pretty good. Uh, it has a, a little HUD in the informational bar where you're setting your, your power and your pitch. And it, it's just a little like spy camera that just shows you the picture of your enemy in this little pip, uh, picture in picture. Does it do anything? No. But it just adds to the overall uh, feel of the game. So the graphics are good. The sound is incredible. The explosion effects are out of this world but they didn't give you a computer player. So you have to play this with another person. And I think that is such a bummer. They could have just, even if the computer just shot randomly into the wind, sometimes he got you, sometimes he didn't. Such a bummer that you can't play this one player. <clears throat> Aaron, what did you think of your time spent with Artillery Duel? Well, I'll tell you... Um... And, and some of the guys here in chat said my the first thing I thought of was there was, a, was an old basic program where you were you picked a couple gorillas on boot you tossed bananas at each other it came with basic from way back and this reminded me of that this is your classic you know artillery game it's not like they reinvented the wheel here even no back they in certainly this day. didn't but uh, this is very well done I'm like you the little the little uh, picture and picture at the top it just adds to the it makes it seem more advanced you yeah. know uh the fact that your troops march in that, that it doesn't have any effect on anything but it's it makes it feel like they put some time in it the wind thing will switch like you actually get to see the wind thing move so it's like dynamic basically uh it's it's really easy to set up your powder uh from the power of your shot the angle you can see the cannon's angle change as you change it which is mm -hmm. appropriate uh, and this is one of those games where you sort of zero in on your opponent. The explosions are nice. I really like the sound effect of the bullet, the artillery shell going up and going down. It's yeah. simple, but it works perfectly, just like a whistle. And if you if you load a if you're on a particularly well, if your enemy is on a particularly steep hillside that's real tough, and you have to angle the shot real high, I mean, you could load that barrel up with uh, with powder. And uh, uh, and you'll hear that whistle go on for a long time as that bomb comes out of you know way up in the air, yeah, which is cool. 
you know, we play a lot of this game on the Team Speaker regulars called Shell Shock Live. So this game is like the the ultra ultra ancient version of that. Basically, <laughs> if your tanks can't move and you've only got one weapon, uh, so but we do have a lot of we play a lot of the games like this still to this day. Yeah, uh, I didn't know it was four players until you mentioned it to me. I didn't and also I didn't know about the four joint supports. That's crazy. I didn't. Ha- I had no idea about that. But I like the idea that it supports four players. Now, the lack of one player support sucks. You're right. Uh, and but that was something that wasn't that unusual. Uh, the Fairchild Channel F, for example, and even the Atari. There are plenty of games that require you to play with a friend. Uh, could they have added like some sort of real low end? generic computer player maybe maybe probably my guess is that when they since they took this from a guy that i'm assuming they paid the guy who's who wrote this. yeah he was involved he was um, involved but uh uh i'm assuming that since he probably didn't have that in they probably it was probably a quick and dirty what year did you say this came out 82 and so this is another kind of late in the day thing yeah i will say it's fun to watch it render the landscape i like the fact that the landscapes are all basically random Mm-hmm. And it works, and they they actually the graphics are nice. The rendering is actually it renders it pretty quick. This the Battle of Astrocade has more power, I think, than anyone would have guessed in that little box, because the, these renders are pretty tight, you know. Uh, and I, so I like that. I also like the fact that when you set up your uh, artillery, it's basically just done by using the button to click up and down. It's not you don't have to do anything crazy, you know. So it's it, it's not difficult to you're not going to screw it up. I guess is what I'm saying. Or accidentally fire because I've played a few of these artillery games where you, if you do the wrong thing, you could actually you know screw it up, and so that's that's never good. So I like that aspect of it, but overall, I thought it was okay. Not not the worst, not the best, uh, but a, a passable game. Like I said, with, with, I only played it with myself, so I didn't yeah. get the fun of playing it with people. I like the fact that when you blow up the enemy, like it chars the hillside. I do like yeah. that as well. And also now the this, fact that your army walks off if, if they survived, you yeah. know, so that was kind of neat too. But the, yeah, a, a, a decent game. Uh, I, I w- it's not what I would, I mean, if I had two people, I would probably sit around and play it. It, it moves quick enough to where it probably wouldn't get boring immediately. But I mean, uh, you know, it's it's not bad. Well, this actually came out, Aaron, on the Atari 2600, the ColecoVision, the Commodore 64, and the VIC-20. This actual game? Yes. No, this so this got boarded. Huh? I so I didn't realize that this was actually got, got ported to other stuff. Yes. No and, kidding. And something that this game uh, is kind of famous for is it was often one side of the double-sided carts, if you ever remember those, where you buy one game but get two, and you literally uh, will have PCBs on both ends of a cart. You plug it in, oh, and then yeah. if you want to play the other game, you take it out. You turn it 180 degrees and plug yeah. it in the other way. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. was a a uh, a big player in that, and I think that's a perfect fit. I think this is good enough to be a a game that you put it in, you play it a little bit, and you turn it off, and you, everybody's happy about their day. And to have it bundled basically with another game is is nice, very nice. Very good. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I go out of my way to play this. I mean, there's obviously there's better variations, uh, but it, it's worth taking a peek at if you got a buddy to to shoot at. I agree. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting game. I, I was, did this get? Did you find any reviews on this one? Uh, no, but I did find the cart on eBay. Yeah, and the loose cart sold for around fifteen American dollars. Yeah, 
So, uh, you know, it's very obtainable. Very yeah. obtainable game. I, 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 I found that most of these uh, games were actually pretty reasonably priced uh, as uh, for the long short of it. You know, I've got to say as we close up here on the Astrocade, uh, an eye-opening look to me. I mean, I knew about this machine. But, I mean, if you stack this up against something like the Fairchild, I mean, I think this crushes the Fairchild. Oh, yes. You know? Absolutely. And, and, and not, the, not the disparage the Fairchild, because we found some fun games on there. But, I mean, graphically and sound-wise... It's a uh, superior and, system. Yeah. But it also had a superior price tag. Well, yeah. I just It, it makes me wonder if, they, if they'd had their act together, they'd bypass the mail-order crap, they'd bypass making this a limited Montgomery Ward's. Uh, item. By the way, as I recall, Brent, you, when you said that it, it chimed a note in my head, I believe the Montgomery Wards was also the exclusive dealer, oh, at least for us, for the Odyssey Two. So I think that <laughs> so they must have upgraded. So they they had a knack for picking the loser in the console battle. <laughs> but uh, and, and they didn't even <clears throat> get to Montgomery Ward Montgomery Wards until Bally was out of the picture. This that was the new owner that went and tweak the name and put it into the actual storefronts. So Bally couldn't even get that far with the system. It was yes. just, it was poorly handled. <clears throat> it was absolutely certainly too expensive for the time. Uh, no one was going to drop that kind of money on a, uh, uh, a system that had, especially since it had so many problems and it earned a bad reputation for having those problems. Uh, in a different timeline, I really think Bally Astrocade could have went some meant something more. They had the name, they definitely had the technology. It just uh, it all fell apart. Yeah, I agree. And just one more uh, <clears throat> plug for our buddy Bally Alley. Uh, I learned a lot just from looking at his videos and stuff. If you want to uh, become an expert in the Bally Astrocade, see a lot of the games played, check out Bally Alley's uh, channel over there. He is the Bally Astrocade expert. We're the expert in only one thing, Brent. You know what that is, don't you? Failing? Okay, two things. Also, the wheel. Oh. Also, the wheel. <clears throat> well, Brent, we got an interesting lineup this week. I've added <laughs> two I've added two pieces. I couldn't help but notice that I didn't get more pieces this week, Brent. Uh, so, But I know you've been under the gun. So, to punish you, this week's Retro Rewind piece, the Atari Falcon. Why? It's back. Yes, eat it. And our, we never did a full show on this, so we're going to go back with our new piece, Modern 8-Bit. Modern 8-Bit, Brent. So that's what we're doing this week. Are you ready, sir? I am. Let's let's get a, a not those. And by the way, people in the chat, there are plenty of chat pieces on here, so be ready. Here we go. Here we go. Ugh. Let's see what we get here. And we have got... Look at that. On its first spin, bam. This is a suggestion by our good pal, Pack Billy, Brent. Bam. Yes. Modern 8-bit. Modern 8-bit. <laughs> I think that's not the worst thing that we could have rolled on that wheel, uh, my friend. The old modern 8-bit. No, uh, I think that is very uh, open for some fun games. You know, uh, <laughs> we this was a piece, and we're kind of going through these. This was something we spun... Uh, on our uh, Thanks for Giving Marathon uh, just a couple years ago. Again, this was one from Pack Billy. Brent, speaking of marathons, I want to get a quick plug in here uh, for everyone. It's coming, my friends. It's Amigathon 2021. It's never too early to plug. I'm going to make this huge here. It's Amigathon. It's happening July 
2021, Brent, we've got a lineup of megastars that are going to be appearing on this. Amiga Bill, Dan and Ravi are going to be here. Kim Justice is going to contribute. Tenmark, our good buddy Doug, Control Art Reese. Uh, we're going to have a, a other big-time players. Boat is continuously negotiating for people to help us raise funds for the Children's Miracle Network. Uh, if you are interested in contributing, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till the 11th hour, Brent, as they used to say on the old WCW hotline. Don't wait till the 11th hour to order the pay-per-view. You don't have to wait till the 11th hour to uh, contribute. You can go over to Amigathon.com. And we are already taking uh, contributions. And by the way, uh, the Brent, we have already uh, amassed in excess of a thousand dollars over there. Nice. And I want to give our buddy uh, Frank uh, a, a big thumbs up. He matched funds up to five hundred bucks. Uh, he runs RetroRewind.ca. A real good guy and a, a friend of the community. By the way, he's also just picked up uh, Coco. Uh, hardware. He's going to be supporting the SDC and some other stuff. So he does Amiga, C64, Coco. He keeps expanding. So check him out. Thank you, Frank, for matching funds. Thanks to everybody that's already contributed on the Amigathon. Uh, Brent will be a part of that, of course, uh, as we often are. And then, of course, we'll do our thing in uh, in uh, in November as well. But uh, that, again, that is Amigathon. Coming in July, please uh, check us out. Should be a happening, uh, Brent. Uh, anything going on in the land of Brent that you want to talk about? Uh, real quick, I want to uh, let everyone know we will be getting a new uh, supporter video next week. I yes. want to say hello to our newest supporter, Andy Jones. Uh, thank you for the support. Thank you for everyone who supports us through Patreon or through Anchor or through PayPal. Uh, it means a lot to us. It yeah. really it helps motivate. It helps us get new equipment. I'm actually going to be going out, hopefully hopefully to get one of the last pieces of equipment I need to move into the new uh, Amigo Studio Subterranean, uh, put myself in a little bit better streaming position. So, and, and that is, that is almost exclusively done with uh, uh, supporter funds from I, here on ARG. I want to thank Andy because I'm sick of the old video. And also I had to watermark the hell out of it because the first time, the first couple times we used it, we got in trouble with the people who make that game. Who makes that game, Brent? That was uh, was that Tato? Whoever it was, you can't even play the video. They come for you. They come for you. I had to. That's why the big ARG thing spins in the sky over it it's because I because they kept hosing us. So that's stupid. I want to say that too. So thank you for <laughs> thank you for pick something from another company this time, Brent. For the love of God. So and I want to thank you because I know those things take a long time to make. Hey. Uh, uh, we will be back, same bat time, same bat channel next week, uh, with another fun-filled episode. I want to thank real quickly. Just to, um, I, I want to say a big shout out to everybody in chat. We had a big crowd today, Brent. Big crowd in here. Thanks for coming in. You can watch us live uh, every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Brent, let's take this thing to the house. Thanks again, everybody. We'll catch you guys next week for Modern 8-Bit. Adam, thank you for all your support and information on getting this ballet show off the ground. There you go. So this is to you, pal. Go out and get your cold one. Enjoy your long weekend, everybody. Adios. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Hello to our YouTube subscribers and our Twitch followers. A special thank you to Duncan Styles for our vector graphics and Bartbit for an amazing closing theme. Want to help keep ARG spinning for as little as a dollar a month? You can do so at our new Patreon. 
at patreon.com slash ARG presents. Just like these fine folks, Graham, WFETKey, Rolo, Olaf Hope, Anthony Jarvis, Terry Howard, Gary Heather, John Schaller, The Slow Morris, Frodo NL, Steve Rechmason, Bernhard Lucas, Chris Folds, Mitsuyama, Jason Warns, Rob Black O'Hara, Andy Craig, Dave Velociraptor, Retroalogy, Hermsky, John Dykeman, Jerry Dennington, Z9K9, and Mr. B. Don't want to explain another credit card bill? That's okay, too. You can help us out by leaving us a positive review on Spotify or Apple iTunes. Have an idea for a wheel piece? Email it to us at argpresents at mail.com. We film live every Sunday, 10 a.m. EDT on Twitch. Hope to see you there.